You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning to the 10 o'clock. Glad y'all are here today. You know, even a small amount of light in a dark space can be seen. Light always overtakes the darkness. Darkness can no, never overtake and overcome the, the light. And that's what's happening in the church in, in Corinth. The Christ followers there were learning more and more about what it looked like to be bridge makers, to, to construct bridges to others that they might share the gospel with them, that they might share their testimony. They're making these gospel connections to people, to people in their city, to people groups in their city around them. With your copy of God's Word, and I hope you have it with you today, would you turn with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And once you get there, we're going to be in that chapter not only this morning, but for many weeks ahead as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, talking to believers, new believers that live in a very dark place, culturally dark, spiritually dark. Even though there were a lot of religious people in the city of Corinth, there were few people who had a living relationship with God through the Son, Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 17 today, although we'll go back and visit some other verses even today and certainly in the weeks ahead. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. A lot of these passages will sound familiar to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who gave, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Don't don't close your Bibles. The word reconcile in, in some form appears five different times in those four short verses. So it's fairly easy to conclude that that's the theme of this passage, reconciliation. And when I use the word reconcile or reconciliation today, I would imagine most of us, maybe all of us in this room, we understand what that word means. You know, a big component of our civil court system here in in our country is reconciliation. Trying to bring two parties together, trying to bring two sides together. There are reconciliation organizations here in Waco, here in our state, that, that try to bring two parties or two groups or, or two people back together to help them resolve some, some conflict. Now you may have a friendship that needs reconciliation. It needs, it needs healing. The, the two sides need to come back together. Uh, you may have a, a sibling rivalry with a sister or a brother. And, and those two sides need to come back together. Maybe there's some spouses in, in the room that need to be reconciled to one another. Probably all of us in this room, we understand what it means to be alienated in a relationship and then for that relationship to come back together, that relationship to be healed, maybe a broken relationship that that is mended. So here biblically, very much of that is is found here in Christianity. It's much the same. 
But I want to give you a working definition of reconciliation that we'll use today, but also the weeks ahead. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down or maybe consider this with me if you're not going to take notes. Here it is. Reconciliation is God's work. But it's God's work through Christ as he, as God restores humanity to a favorable relationship with himself. So please note, reconciliation is not our work. It's God's work. We don't initiate that reconciliation. God initiates that reconciliation. And it's not through our good works. It's not through our behavior modification. It's not through attendance in in church. It is through the person of Christ, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as God restores, brings back, reconciles humanity. Maybe many of you in this room, most of us in this room have been reconciled to God back to a favorable, or if you will, a grace-filled relationship with God. But when you think about God being, being reconciled to, to sinners, only one party is, is guilty, and, and that's you and I. We're, we're guilty of sin. We're guilty of violating the, the, the law of God, the rules of God. And so in that reconciliation process, the, 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 the party that needs the forgiveness is not God and us. And so it's not necessarily a compromising coming into the middle. It's you and I understanding this is our guilt. This is our responsibility. And God has made a way, he has determined a way in which sinners can be reconciled to God. Now, in this reconciliation, it's important for you to see this and to know this, God does not change. In human reconciliation, normally what happens is people have to compromise. This person has to ask forgiveness. This person has to ask forgiveness. There's there's some time uh, lapse. There's there's some sorrow. There's some remorse on both sides. But this is not what biblical reconciliation is or Christian reconciliation is. God does not change. God does not need to make any changes to meet us in the middle. He, he remains perfect, but this is the good news, Christian. He changes us. And as a result, our relationship, our standing with him changes. Look at verse 18, the beginning of verse 18. It uses this really all-encompassing phrase, all this is from God, which begs the question, what is the all this? Well, the answer is back in, in verse 17, that we are new creations. This comes from God. The old is gone. This comes from God. The new has come. This is from God. And so all of these things come from God, not, not, not our um, self-generating desire to, to reconcile. This is actually God reconciling with us. He brings this. He brings new creation. Our old stories are gone. Our old habits are gone. Our old testimony is gone. But now everything new, our new story has, has come. Look at verse 17 and verse 18 together. Let me read them together. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. So note takers, you can write this down. God is not a reluctant reconciler. In other words, for all believers here in this house today, God didn't have to be talked, talked into saving you. This, this was not some desire that, that God wanted you to be forever separated and God wanted you to, to be under his wrath. No, God is not a reluctant reconciler. God doesn't have to be talked into saving people. He, he delights to save us. God delights to save sinners. He delights to, to bring new creations. He delights to bring in the new story. He delights to make our old self, our old things, our old story uh, go away. In fact, the scripture says in the gospels earlier that all of heaven rejoices. 
All of heaven rejoices when a sinner is reconciled to God. All of heaven rejoices when a, when a person becomes a follower, a believer in Jesus. All of heaven rejoices when someone is saved. Now, this may be a really good point in the sermon today while everyone's still awake, as far as I can tell, to tell you this. No one is too far gone. No one in this house today is outside of the scope of being reconciled to God. One of my favorite words in all this passage is back in verse 17. The key word here in verse 17 is if anyone is in Christ. If, if anyone in this room today is in Christ or desires to be in Christ, it doesn't matter if, if sin has filled your life and rebellion has filled your life. And even today, if you feel like you're so far away from God, God can create something new in the heart of every single person here today. The literal reading of verse 17 is this. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Can God put your life back together? New creation. Can God restore your marriage? New creation. Can God get you out of, of addictions and, and grief and self-centeredness? New creation. Scripture says the old can be gone and the new can come. No one in this house today is outside of the scope of being reconciled to God. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but let's, let's own those pronouns there, and not counting our trespasses against us. So the second thing I want you to see about God's work and reconciliation, God reconciles us by forgiving us. And Highland, <laughs> This is the only way this works. God must cause our sin to no longer be an issue because it is an issue. Is it a dividing issue between God and, and ourselves? Sin separates the reconciliation. So God has to, this is a part of the reconciliation, God has to dismiss our sin. He has to erase the record of all of our wrongdoings. And he will treat us, listen to this, as if we never sinned. Verse 19, not counting our trespasses, our sins against us. And the only way for this to happen is if another steps in to take our sin. But there is only one who, who can. There is only one who is capable. There's only one who is worthy. There's only one who is credentialed. And that is the one who lived a perfect life. The spotless, sinless one, Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus had sinned even once on his years here on earth, he would have just given us his sin and we would have handed him our sin and we would all be in trouble. But since Jesus is perfect and he is righteous in every way, we hand him our sin and Jesus hands us his righteousness. Jesus hands us his right standing with God. You know, I look around the room, I know some of you um, are auditory learners and some of you are probably more visual learners. So for the visual learners, let, let me kind of help us all out here a little bit. Maybe this contour drawing of a bridge here on the screen would help just a little bit. You have humanity on, on one side, flawed, sin-filled, rebellious. 
Then the other side, you have a God who is perfect in his holiness, but also perfect in his justice. Uh, how can those two sides reconcile? Now, in the Old Testament, the temporary reconciliation was the, the sacrifice of, of, of bulls and, and goats and heifers and, and birds and doves and pigeons. But Hebrews chapter 10 says that that temporary reconciliation never made our hearts perfect. And so Jesus is sent by the Father. He comes to be the sacrifice who will die once and for all and will be the permanent eternal sacrifice for us. So in this picture, Jesus is the agent of reconciliation. Jesus is, if you will, the mediator of, of the reconciliation. He is the minister, the prime minister, if you will, of, of reconciliation. So Christ steps in and he is the one who reconciles us to the Father. But that is not the end of the story, if you will. Because there's something else going on in this passage, and I imagine that you saw it. There's a term, and you see it in verse 20. It's the word ambassador. And it's a very noble word. An ambassador is, is a title possessed by someone who represents his government, his president, his king. And it's a term of, of great responsibility. An ambassador speaks for the king, or the ambassador speaks for the president, or the ambassador speaks for the entire government. He is the mouthpiece of his sovereign. So this ambassador does not utter his or her own words. This ambassador does, does not offer up private personal offers. This ambassador doesn't give some personal promises. Let me say it again. The ambassador represents the sovereign. And this is who we are, church. Sons of God, daughters of God in this room, we represent God. Now it's not the weightiness of our own dignity that, that lends any credit, credibility uh, to our ambassadorship. Not at all. It's the dignity of the one that we represent. So we are, verse 20, ambassadors for Christ. Every believer in this room, we are ambassadors for God. It says here, verse 20, that God is making his appeal. This, this passage always blows my mind. God is making his appeal through us. His appeal for what? His appeal for humanity to be reconciled to God. His appeal for the gospel for Waco and the world. His appeal for salvation. His appeal for new life for your neighbors, for, for your classmates, for your roommates, for your family, for those you work with day in and day out. God is making his appeal through us. I have a long list of things I want to ask God when I get to heaven. Do you have a list like that? Like, I've never understood this and this and this and this. And yes, I know. When I get there, I'll forget the list. I'll just want to worship him. I know the rest of that story. But I am telling you, while here on earth, I still have a list. And somewhere at the top of that list is this question of God. When, when the son came and then the son ascended back to, to the father and the spirit came to indwell the people of God, why in the world did you leave the church with us? Wait, were you sure you were thinking that through correctly? You left people like us to oversee the church, to shepherd the church, to encourage the church, to build up the church. Do you know how quickly we're offended? Do you know how easily we lose our way? Do you know how quickly we, we stop our devotion and loving Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? But for some reason, God didn't ask me if he thought that was a good idea before he allowed the, the people of God 
to, to be the church. But here we see it listed so perfectly. It says that God is, verse 20, making his appeal through us. Verse 18, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So here's kind of the second part of the, of the, of the passage today, of the sermon today, is this point, if you want to write it down. God has entrusted us with a ministry and a message. So every believer in Christ in this room today, you have a ministry. It may not be an occupational ministry like me, but if you are a believer in Christ, you are a minister in this city. God has given us a ministry and he has given us a a message. In fact, really the only reason that Christians are left here on earth is for this ministry and this message of reconciliation. Think about it. Everything else is gonna be better in, in heaven for us. We struggle to be holy here. We struggle with our relationships here. Well, we struggle here with our hearts being truly devoted to, to Christ. We are so easily distracted. We struggle with our faith. We, we struggle with doubts. We struggle with prayerlessness here. We fail and we give in to temptation time and time again. And we wonder, God, why don't you just get us out of here? Well, every believer in this room, we long for for heaven is our home. This is the context, by the way, of 2 Corinthians chapter five. It's not on the screen. Let your eyes go back to verse two of 2 Corinthians chapter five and look what it says here. This is the context, again, of you and I being ministers of reconciliation. Verse two, Paul is writing. He says, for in this tent, he's talking about his body. In this tent, we groan. Now, if you're under the age of 21, you have no idea what that means. But if you're over the age of 21, you understand what it means to groan. Ugh, my knees, ugh, my back longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We're left here, Christian, really for this one reason. We're left here with a ministry and a message of reconciliation for our city and for the nations. You see, we'll never ever in heaven share a message of reconciliation between a sinner and God. That will not happen in heaven. That only happens here. There is no evangelism in heaven. So we're left here in in Waco. We're left here in this world as a force of ambassadors with a ministry of reconciliation to declare this message, how sinners in Waco, how sinners in the world can be reconciled to God. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, we beg of you is that word in Greek. We plead with you on behalf of Christ, Waco, on behalf of Christ's world, be reconciled to God. So this is the second point on this part of the message. God leverages our stories to tell his story. So when you ask yourself, why am I here as a Christian on earth? The answer should always find its way back to this. You have a ministry, Christian. You have a message, Christian. And God desires to leverage your story, the entirety of your story, to tell his story. That means every story in your life, of every person in this this room, anything God has redeemed you from in your past, your grief, your hurt, Your good choices, your bad choices, his deliverance, his salvation, his faithfulness to you in dark days, God can and he will. He will use all of these stories in this room to tell his story. God will leverage all of your past 
if you allow him to do so, to tell his great story of reconciliation, his great story of salvation. Now, I do want to caution everyone in the room today of this. When you use your story, when you tell your story, you don't want people walking away thinking, oh, what a story. You want them walking away thinking, oh, what a savior. So don't stop in the middle of your story and say, here's what God has done, here's what God has done. You finish that story by saying, and this same God is not reluctant to reconcile with you. And he has made a way through his son, Jesus. So you visual learners, that means probably the bridge looks a little bit like this. And the second part of 2 Corinthians 5, you have humanity on, on one side, God on one side. Now Jesus is still the ultimate bridge, but here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, we now share with others on behalf of Christ. We share with humanity, you can be reconciled to God. This is the very end of, of, of verse 20. Be reconciled to God. God has now entrusted us with the ministry and with the message, and he is imploring Waco. He is pleading with Waco. He is begging with Waco through us to be reconciled to God. Now, one of the bridges that Highland is constructing beginning this year, one of the ways that everyone in this house can be a bridge maker is by connecting even more so the heart of Highland to the heart of 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. The 6th through 12th grade window of life is one of the most unbelievably transformative windows ever. And I'll just go on record of saying I never want to go back to 6th through 12th grade. Wow, those were interesting years. Seven years of, of consequence, seven years of great temptation, yes, but also seven great years of gospel potential and seven great years of deepening discipleship. Let me just prove this to you, the importance of those years in life. Would you raise your hand if you gave your life to Christ, you became a believer before you were 18 years old? Would you just lift your hand up for me? So you became a believer in Christ before you're 18 years old. You can put your hand down. Statistically, 77% of Christians gave their life to Christ before they're 18. That was borne out in that vote just then. That's probably more like 85 or 90% in, in this room. Our middle school ministry at Highland and our high school ministry continue to grow. And so we need to, to build some more space for them. So today we're officially launching a future generations five different initiatives, the first of which is, is to build a, a student building. Uh, this slide that you see right here shows the footprint of where it would go, that, that blue spot on the slide uh, shows maybe about 20 yards behind me or so, uh, we will build the, the, the student building. Uh, this next slide shows a rendering of how we'll attach it to, to the back of, of the Life Center. You see the little yellow dots that kind of outline that. That new story would be, uh, that new building would be a two-story, 13,000 square foot structure with our middle schoolers on, on the first floor, with, with our high schoolers on, on the second floor. Uh, the next rendering you see kind of shows what it's going to look like from, from the side. You, you notice a garage door there on that rendering. We'll have a garage door on both sides of, of the student building. It'll be some shared space with, with our church for any events that are not on Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then lastly, you see some, some renderings of what potentially could look like on the inside of our, of our student building. The price tag for this, the price tag for the building, for the furnishing, for the technology is 
million dollars. I would say, Highland, this may be the best $3.5 million this church will ever spend in its 100-year history. The uh, elders have concluded and agreed that once we get $2.6 million cash in hand, we'll go ahead and, and break ground. Because $2.6 million is 75% of the $3.5 million project. So we'll start digging dirt and dust will start flying and, and the campaign can start moving forward. This week, Highland members, you will get in the mail a, a packet of all the projects of all these initiatives of future generations. In the back of that packet, you'll see a card that looks just like this. Uh, this would be members uh, or giving attenders. Uh, this would be a commitment to, to give. Uh, you can give a one-time gift. Uh, you can give monthly for 18 months or no one's gonna stop you from doing both. If you wanna give once and then give for 18 months, you're welcome to do that. For us to get to that $2.6 million quickly so we can break ground and get that building going. You probably noticed a few things happening on stage the last few moments. I am joined by our student ministry. Uh, they just finished up their D-Now weekend uh, this past uh, few hours. And on stage with me is the sixth graders and the 12th graders, kind of have the bookends up here, the, those who are just coming into the student ministry, those who are just about to exit the student ministry. Um, Highland, while they continue to come in that side door, uh, would you welcome our, our students here today? Let's give them some love, show them some love. You know, it's one thing to, to talk about giving to a building or giving to a project. I personally think it's a whole different thing to see the people who are the recipients of the project. Uh, to see the faces of, of students, of teenagers who are growing in their walk with the Lord, who desire to walk with the Lord. Um, I'm grateful for this student ministry. It's, it's no doubt to me at all that they are growing and it's not only because the great leaders, we've got Ryan and, and Brea and Nathan and Ivy uh, and Natalie and Colton, Katie, just some phenomenal leaders in, in our student ministry. But the reason the student ministry is growing numerically and growing spiritually is because these students, they, they own this ministry. They, they see it as their ministry. So what you see up here, these, these wonderfully young faces, this is not the future church. This is the present church that they are leveraging their spiritual gifts, they're leveraging their testimony. God is, is using their lives and their stories to tell his great story. It's one of the great joys we have today, students. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you in is for this church to be able to say to you and show to you, and let me say to you, that we love you and that we care for you and that we are cheering you on in, in the faith. And non-teenagers, we get to be the example to them of what it looks like to walk faithfully with the Lord. We get to be an example to them in the faith of loving the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. So students, we care for you. We, we love you. Um, we want to spur you on toward good works to encourage you to continue to walk faithfully uh, with the Lord. And on those days that you wonder, does, does this church, you know, do they even know about us? Um, you know, a lot of churches, the students are the ones that get blamed for all the mess. Um, at Highland, I blame y'all for all the spiritual growth. I think this church is a stronger church because of the strong student ministry that, that, that we have here. And it would be a great joy, students of, of mine 
and students for this church for us to bow our heads and, and to pray for you. So church family, can we pray for our students and thank God for these young lives? They are the church. Father, we're grateful for our students and our student ministry and our student leaders. And Father, certainly just the numerics is exciting to see so many. But Father, this church, we are more enthused by their spiritual depth and their spiritual growth than just the numerical growth. God, thank you for bringing them to this church. We are a better church, a stronger church. We're a healthier church because of these students. Father, for all they learned at D-Now this weekend, God, I pray that you would, would grow them in that. Let those seeds find fertile ground, that the lives of these students might bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that would last for the king as they serve as ambassadors in their middle schools, in their high schools, in their neighborhood, their friend groups. God, we're grateful for their lives. God, thank you for allowing us to join in on future generations to help construct bridges to our middle schoolers, construct bridges to our high schoolers, to encourage them to walk faithfully with the Lord. And God, you will walk faithfully with them. It's through the name of Jesus that we are grateful for, spiritually proud of these students. In Christ we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Students, thank you for joining us today. You can go back from where you came. I'm not real sure where you came from, but you can head back in that, in that direction. Church, would you stand with me, please, as our students exit? We're going to respond to the Lord by singing to the Lord. We have some staff members here at the front. Maybe today you begin to realize that you don't have new life and you're not a new creation. You're still living in the old. And today, would you put your life into the life of Christ? Today, would you confess your sin and believe upon Jesus as the mediator, the, the agent of reconciliation? It's his death and his resurrection that allows God to look at us and to remember our sins no more to remove our sin from us and the penalty of that sin from us. But I have a special uh, plea today during this time of prayer. If you're a parent, mom, or dad of a teenager, 6th through 12th grade, could I encourage you, even ask of you to come and kneel here at the front? We'd love to pray for you. I would encourage you to pray for your students, to pray for your middle schooler, your high schooler. I'm not asking you to come and pray for a student building. I'm asking for you to come and pray for the building up of our students, for the building up of our student ministry. Maybe you don't have a student, uh, sixth through 12th grade, but you have a heart for students. You have a heart for youth. You have a heart for teenagers. Maybe you want to leave your seat and just come and pray for this next generation, that God would build them up in Christ, that this church would be a faithful witness to them of the goodness of God, the joy of Christ his salvation, his deliverance. Our elders will be here today as well in the, in the far corner, my far left, my far right. If you're here with, with a sickness and upcoming surgery and illness, you'd want the elders to pray over you, anoint you with oil as the word of the Lord says. This would be an opportunity now to do so. Parents and those who love students, I encourage you to come and, and pray for our students. Let's sing. And won't you please come?